Hello, everyone, and welcome back. Um, you know that old, or maybe it's a new phrase, I don't know, but the one that where they say, if you're not making money, then you have a hobby and not a business. Well, I thought that was just like a clever catchphrase, but apparently it's not just something people are tossing around in the business world. The IRS legitimately considers you just a hobbyist if you have not turned a profit in three years. And while I am always encouraging us as entrepreneurs and business owners to follow our dreams and do what makes our hearts and souls happy, at the end of the day, you have bills to pay, you have to feed the mouths of your children and your dog and yourself, and you also need to consider your future. So bottom line is, we got to make money. And that is exactly what we're going to talk about today. And honestly, it's coming at a really appropriate time for me. I just took Liz LaJoy, who is my guest today's Inner Circle Recalibration Workshop at the end of December to help me map out my year, my 2021 on paper, when it comes to making the Benjamins. But I also, at the same time, have been doing some work on my marketing business brand and revamping my offerings there and my packages and things like that. And as I'm doing this work, my eyes have been opened up to the painful reality that I am a little bit of a chronic undercharger. This is not the first time that this has um, come into my awareness. And This is also not the time to or an invitation to take advantage of that fact. Um, I'm working on being a reformed or a recovering undercharger, but it's definitely not as bad as it has been in my life. In fact, when I was about 12 years old, we lived next door to a lady that wanted me to walk her dog, Sunny, five days a week and take him out to go pee once a day. Now, honestly, this isn't like a huge task, but for a 12-year-old, it was a lot of responsibility because I had to plan my days around Sonny's walks. And he also was kind of a, a little bit of a pain in the butt because he would pee on the floor. He was really anxious when his owner would leave, and so he would pee, and it was pretty regular that I had to clean up the pee on the floor because I'm not just going to leave it sitting there waiting for her to come home to, you know? So when I was quoting the job, Deborah, the owner, asked me how much I wanted per week. And when she asked me that, I just gave, I shrugged my shoulders and I gave my go-to answer that I answered for babysitting and everything else. And I was like, um, I don't know, how much do you want to pay me? And she says, well, how about $10 a week? You know, that's $2 a day. Makes sense. One walk, one pee, buck a piece, 10 bucks a week. And I thought, I, I mean, I started sweating profusely. My eyes probably bugged out of my face. And I was like, oh, Lord, that is a lot of money. I'm like, how about $5 a week? <laughs> so I was really good, as you can see, at negotiating. But, you know, the crazy thing is, is I somehow felt better that in charging her less, I wouldn't be putting her out financially in the process of delivering her a service that she really wanted and needed. And one of the things we're going to get into today is not telling your clients money stories for them, not deciding, like their pockets are none of our business, right? Um, And I do get into a little bit more of my money story in the podcast, but essentially because of this like kind of deranged approach that I had to money in my in my younger years, I didn't really have the easiest entry into my 20s. 
Now, thanks to a whole lot of really painful um, discussions with my husband and having to be extremely vulnerable and honest with him when we first met and myself, um, I have a really different attitude when it comes to the money that we have and the money that we earn. However, the money that is still yet to be had, the mindset around that is, is really what I'm still working on and it's a work in progress. And the reason I kind of want to share a little bit about my uh, relationship with money is because I, you know, I said it in my a couple episodes ago, but like I understand that there are people that will tell you that this is how you manifest money and this is how your money mindset should be. And they had just a good money mindset and it got them to seven figures and that's fine and great, but we're not all there yet, right? And so I just want in my podcast, my goal is just to show you that I am a real person just like you and we're kind of all going through this together. Now, rewinding to just like two years ago when I first started my current business, I was charging people a package for like a certain number of retainer hours that they'd pay for each month. And meanwhile, I would always go over those hours. Part of it was their fault. Most of it was my fault and not having good boundaries. And one lady, I did, you know, I keep a spreadsheet of everyone's hours every single month and I know to the 0.25 hours what every single client is costing me every month in hours. I gave this woman 22 hours in a month and guess how much she paid me every month? $149. (laughs) And I will spare you that math. You don't need to get out your calculator. I've already done it for you. It's $6.72 an hour. And yes, I still had to pay taxes on that. So those first few clients that ever worked with me, you know, it was fine. I was really figuring out what I wanted to do. And we had, it was a lot of like friends that I helped out during the beginning. Um, But those first few clients really did score until I started to realize that this was not only doing myself a disservice because I was using up all of my energy. It was also doing them a disservice because I didn't have any real desire to work on their stuff because I didn't feel fairly compensated. And so that's kind of what we get into today. We talk about how your money is actually your energy. It's actually your time and how that makes it even more important. Like people who say they don't care about money or money isn't why they're in business. I understand that. But when you look at money as your energy and your time and your passion, I think you can start to really see where you need to make it a positive thing and not such an icky thing to talk about. Um, We also get into talking about what it means if you're a spender versus a saver and some of the things that we need to do as entrepreneurs and professionals as we enter this new year to ensure that our energetic flow with money is a little more lined up in where we need it to be. Liz LaJoy is a powerhouse. This woman is a financial whiz and I am so lucky she's on the show. She has an MBA. She is the Zen Money Strategist and CFO and the founder of Zen Money Initiative, which helps mission-driven entrepreneurs and small business owners master their finances and grow thriving businesses that they adore. With, she also has nearly two decades of experience in strategic business development and financial management for established multi-million dollar firms, and she is a sought-after expert and host of Zen Money Monday, a weekly show exploring profitable business building from the inside out. I have had the privilege of being on Liz's Zen Money Monday show, and it's really a, I, it's a wonderful listen. Um, 
She's been featured on Women Inspired TV and published as an international bestselling author of From Zero to Zen, Secret Keys to Nurturing Your Numbers and Finding Financial Flow, and Zen Money Map. And I'll be sure to include both of those books in the show links. She lives in northern New Hampshire with her husband and two kids, and you can find her online at lizlajoy.com. And without further ado, as I said, I'm keeping the intro short and sweet. Here is my guest, Liz LaJoy. Welcome to the She Built This podcast, where we are sharing the stories of professionals and entrepreneurs who are on a mission to create the new norm by following their dreams and making them a reality. I'm your host, Emily Aborn, and together we are inspiring, growing, and giving you the tools you need to bring ideas to life so you can build whatever this means for you. Welcome to the She Built This podcast. It's so good to hear your voice. You too, Emily. Well, actually, I did hear your voice in the recent workshop that we did. So that was nice. To jump into things, I would love to talk about that past workshop we did and just tell you what, tell our audience a little bit more about what it was and tell you like how much it benefited me before we kind of dive into everything else. I'd love to hear that. Always, okay, of course. So we did something called, well, I did something called an inner circle recalibration back in December with Liz LaJoy and a couple of other members of the She Built This group. And it was a real opportunity to like take a bird's eye view of what happened the year before and look at your, not just your costs, but also like your income and in a really like practical nitty gritty, this is what actually happened. Um, And then you really opened it up to us to give us the opportunity to look at the year ahead with a little bit more of a possibility framework. And I really loved that. You gave us this particular exercise in which we sort of like it's, it's hard for me to put into words, so you're going to probably do a better job. But basically, like if you're a product or service-based business, you take every single product or service that you offer and you put it into like a tiered system and then kind of map out w- what the potential is. And I walked away just like really inspired and feeling like the goals and dreams that I had for my business, I could actually do, you know. And so I just wanted to thank you for giving me that um bird's eye view and then being able to put it into something very practical that I now know how to implement in my business. And I think that's what you do really, really well. Ah, that is amazing feedback. Thank you. Yeah, that one exercise is really, I think, pretty powerful because it allows us to see, you know, it's so easy to get mired in. I'm going to launch this new thing over here and maybe I'll add on over here and maybe I'll do this extra whatever. And we kind of just run with it or have those sort of shower moments, you know, where we're like, oh, here's the new thing I'm going to work on. And it's not necessarily framed around, like you say, I love that word of the potential, you know, of of structuring it that way or looking at it, all of your offerings that way, because sometimes we find that, oh, wait, I'm going to, I was planning on spending all this time in this one area, but when I look at the real numbers, it's not actually going to get me where I want to be financially. Whereas if I, you know, focus a little bit more over here, that's really going to drive the needle for me. And it just helps us frame our energy use as well as our financial potential. Yeah. That was something else you talked about um, yesterday. I think on your Instagram stories, you were talking about how when we set goals, it's important to also not just think about like what the financial thing is, like what you're writing down on a piece of paper, but also think about how it affects you as a person. Like what does it mean for you as a person? What does it mean for you in your business? What, how does it contribute to your why? 
So I just love that you take a really holistic approach to money. And to get into that, I want to ask how that like started for you, like what your background is that this all came into play. I take a deep breath before I start in on this. It feels like a long story. And I think everybody's, you know, journey to and into entrepreneurship and business ownership is is sort of like this and that. It's a winding road. But bottom line, you know, I've spent 20 plus years now in various businesses of various sizes. And in the process of that, I've learned a lot. Um, and then about four and a half years ago, I launched into my own business after having spent about a decade in the engineering world. So people who sell their brains for a living with letters after their names, you know, uh, service-based businesses are really my cup of tea, although I have experience in product-based businesses as well. So when I moved into my own business, I started working with people all over the place. And, you know, that in that online space, there's a lot of potential, but then there's a lot of people who have these great ideas or really want to serve people but they don't necessarily have business management background and in particular financial management background. And so, you know, my transition to my own business was tied to some long-term health stuff on my side. So when I started the business, it was really what's the easiest way for me to make a little money because I can't work a nine to five job anymore. What can I do that'll work around my chronic Lyme recovery and all of that kind of stuff, which has lots of ups and downs. Um, thankfully I'm in a much better place now than I was back then, but it, it just started with the, this is a piece of the puzzle, the financial management, the thinking sort of strategically around where you want to go in your business that comes easily to me. Uh, my brain is just wired that way to see a bigger picture in the straightest line to get from point A to point B. Um, and I didn't realize until I started working online that not everybody is built the same way. So it's just, it's evolved from there. I wrote a couple of books you know, the languaging around Zen money really came up because so many people I was talking to were incredibly stressed out around their financial situation. They were over leveraged. They had used a lot of credit cards or other debt vehicles to try and launch their business. They weren't getting any traction. The last thing they wanted to talk about was how to be healthy financially, although it's what we all want, right? Everybody wants to feel amazing around their finances, but we're not quite sure how to how to do that. And we don't even necessarily want to open the door. And so I found that a really fascinating part of the conversation in that we do have to take a holistic approach because so many of us are our businesses. We might have a team, we might have a cadre of people, but if you're a founder or you're a sole person, whatever it is, you're the buck stops here person. And, um, you know, none of us are really born understanding double entry bookkeeping. None of us are necessarily born, you know, with that inherent kind of business savvy from the inside of your business know-how. So that's where I can really, you know, help share my expertise at whatever level people are at. And that's what I find really fun. And one thing I want to say is I really think that it's important for listeners to know where you've been because you're a lot like me. I kind of destroyed myself financially when I was young. I got in way more way more terribly than you did. But um, I've heard your story because I've read your books. And I would love for you to share a little bit of that backstory where you had no idea what was happening with your finances and didn't really like understand how to, um, well, I'm sure you knew kind of, but you just sort of avoided taking care of them properly. I think I'm I'm common. I think that's a common story for, for many of us. You know, my background is I come from a family of professional medical providers and, you know, 
making decent money in their jobs, serving the community and being do-gooders in the world. But I think my parents kind of thought we were going to learn about money through osmosis or, you know, just through watching. And it's clear to me as a parent now that that is definitely not enough. And so for me, you know, there was always a safety net. There was always that, well, you know, it worse comes to worse, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be, you know, starving in a ditch somewhere. I, I have family resources I can always rely on, you know, getting a loan for mom and dad or whatever. And so in college, you know, I took that to an extreme because I think, I don't know how it works now, but back in the day, you know, your first day of on campus, there were all these tables set up and City Card was handing out free water bottles and and whatever, you know, for, uh, for your first credit card in your name as an 18 year old. And, you know, that just, it created this debt cycle for me that I With just like didn't. a 21% APR if you don't pay it With, off every yeah, month. <laughs> yeah. And there was no conversation around how to leverage that kind of vehicle consciously like that I remember which is not to say that my parents didn't try to have the conversation with me it's totally possible that they did um, but I don't remember one. and so it's just you know I think it's a really common thing and so I managed to you know bounce checks here and there over like $25 right like I'd be so low in my checking account as a student that you know I'd something would bounce and then I'd get fines and I'd never quite caught up. And I got, I mean, it's very embarrassing to say, so embarrassing. I was so terrified. I don't think I've ever actually talked directly with my parents about this, that this is what I did in my early twenties. But I got to a point where I, um, I got blackballed, right? Like I couldn't open a checking account. So I stopped, I finished school and then I moved to the twin cities. I was in Southern New Hampshire, not New Hampshire, Minnesota. There we go. Um, I was in Southern Minnesota for college and I moved to Minneapolis and was like, oh, I'll just close this checking account and open a new one when I get to the cities. And I went to the cities and they were like, yeah, no, your credit score is atrocious. We're not even going to give you a checking account, even though you have a job and you have like a proven paycheck and all of this stuff. So I had to, I used friends. Friends were my, like basically my bank for the first, I don't know, three, four years of out of college. It was in- incredibly ridiculous. Um, so that obviously was a was an aha like oh boy this is not not the way to do this and then you know i bumped along and worked various jobs and um you know got better at the money management but i think it probably really took a turn in terms of me thinking about how i manage my resources differently when i met my husband because he's incredibly frugal and um it was you know we've had lots of conversations <laughs> kind of coming to a middle road around you know, using money to live the life we want to live, but also, you know, taking care of our future selves from a retirement standpoint, you know, thinking about now that we have kids college and all of those other various things. So for me, the money conversation, you know, it's funny because many people say like, oh, you must love to talk about this stuff. I don't think of myself that way. I feel like I kind of fell into this conversation. But the one thing that I have realized that I am good at is one, I think having a calm conversation, mm-hmm. a safe conversation about it and not a like, you must, thou shalt, we're all doing this wrong kind of stuff, which I think we hear a lot out in the, in the space. Um, and then also just being able to see really clearly, you know, your individual situation is going to be different than mine, is going to be different than someone else's. And we don't need a catch-all plan. We need a plan that's going to work for you, Emily, right? And one that's going to work for me, Liz, based on my own comfort level or your own comfort level in terms of savings and risk and where you want to take your business and all of those things. 
Yeah. So I, I mean, I just love that your story is so relatable. And, you know, like you, I, I similarly got way better at money when I met my husband. And we, in our first business, we didn't have, like, we talk about this all the time. We're like, we didn't really know our numbers. Like, we just kind of like, oh, well, we do our books and we hand it off to the CPA. And we didn't really, like, have a feel for it. And we're so mm. deeply involved in our um, money now that the I think that the conversations are actually calmer for that reason. It's like once you start to get comfortable with the reality, um, it it actually makes the conversation like better for some reason. <laughs> um, but you do a really good job of calm. I mean, that's what your business is. It's Zen money. So, um, okay. So let's talk about since it is January sixth. This will probably be coming out later in the month. But what? kinds of things do we need to think about as we are kicking off 2021? Hmm. That's a great question. Um, I think the thing most of us consider is really ticky tacky stuff, but there's a second piece that I want to talk about too. So the ticky tacky stuff is our fiscal, most of us have a fiscal year of January 1 through December 31. So most of us have just closed our fiscal year. So now is the time where we're gathering a lot of stuff and there's a lot of kind of you know, tax work activity and closing out the books, whether you're doing it yourself or you're paying somebody to do it, you know, we're looking at our final numbers and using those to generate tax reports, filing 1099s if we've paid anybody as a vendor, things like that. So there's that work. And that's generally, I think, what people think about this time of year. And it feels kind of frenetic and like, ah, one foot in last year and one foot in this year. And where am I going? So that's one piece of it. Um, and it's important to keep that work going. And us as business owners have to lead the charge with that. I think sometimes we just assume, you know, our accountant is going to lead the conversation and reach out when it's time and all of that. And the reality is, you know, they're really busy people too. So if you want to get your stuff done in a timely manner and not have to file extensions, you know, it's a good idea to just reach out yourself yeah. and get the ball rolling. That's number one. Number two, I love this time of year. Um, last month and December and into January. I love this time of year for planning and strategy. That's where I really geek out. I love to look forward with some, you know, real numbers. When you talk about strategic planning, most people, you know, there's a kind of a common analysis flow where maybe you start with a SWOT analysis, looking at your external marketing, and then you look at your internal operations and your vetting. Where do we need to shift and change? What's going to happen? Where are we going to go to take us in the next five years, 10 years, whatever? Um, for me, from a financial management standpoint, I like to do that process a little bit differently where, and this is what we did in the recalibration together, is really take a step back and do a little dreaming around where you really want to go and where you want to spend your time. And not only for your business, but for yourself personally, in relationships and community, because many of us want to be able to give back. And many of us want to be able to do more than just, you know, put food on the table. We want to be able to have a bigger impact in our lives financially. So if we get really, you know, excited about where we want to go and what money can do for us as a tool, that's a really great way to start the planning process because it allows us then to tie back to, all right, I actually want to be able to squirrel away X dollars into retirement this year. I haven't been doing it maybe because, you know, when we start as businesses, we tend to just funnel money back into the business instead of doing things like retirement planning, which maybe you have in a job or an employment situation and you don't as a business owner. So, you know, that's often a common goal for, you know, people early in their business careers is how am I going to get that back on track? And so maybe that's a big goal, but we've just been putting it to the side. If we bring it to the forefront, it's a lot easier to say, what do I need to do in my business to allow my business to be healthy, but also 
fund my personal life and do these other bigger ticket things that I want to have money on hand to accomplish. So that version of it, I think, you know, we do some dreaming and then we drill down to how are we going to achieve that? Looking at pricing, looking at offerings, looking at, you know, basically creating a financial map that isn't just who are you going to sell to? What's your ideal client? You know, the people that I work with tend to have already done that kind of external work. They know how they want to present to themselves in the marketplace. Now it's time to clean up the inner workings. I always say, you know, let's make your business as beautiful on the inside as it is on the outside because we spend all this time kind of in external messaging. But what's going on in your business and using your numbers you know, to really read the story of that so that you can track into the future in a way that you want as opposed to reactionary is really powerful. So that's sort of step number two in January is dreaming and scheming, as I like to say. And I imagine that you really help people through that mapping process because I think that's where a lot of people get stuck, right? Like they can dream. And then when it comes to actually sitting down and making out a map, I think people get a little confused or like, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how to predict, you know? Um, And I think that's where like the knowledge that you provide people to is really, really valuable because I don't think that's something that we were ever taught to do. And I don't think that it's, it, it definitely isn't what's being commonly spread you know like we have the money mindset and we have like the manifesting money and that kind of thing but it's just like sitting down and making an actual practical tactical plan to get there right I think what happens is we you know not all of us are comfortable looking at the details it can really like freak people out I think because it sort of makes it real right there's a concreteness there and if you sit down and you just say I want to make I want to build a million dollar business that's um you know, not granular enough to freak us out. It's a fun dream. But when it comes down to figuring out how to actually accomplish it, it gets a little freaky, right? (laughs) Because you're like, wait, what what does that mean? How do we do it? And what's important for me is not to just talk about packages and pricing and top line revenue, although that's important, of course, because it's the start of your financial funnel or flow, but also track down, all right, what happens if you, you know, with your spending plan? What happens if, something comes up that, you know, you want to reinvest in your business. What is that going to do? Totally fine thing to do. I want you to make that choice, but I want you to make it consciously as opposed to, this sounds really fun. I'll just figure out how to afford it later because that's where we start to kind of do what they call failing forward in terms of, you know, revolving debt vehicles just to kind of keep the doors open. And the problem with that, while it, it kind of works on the surface, the problem with it is that it never helps you truly build the personal wealth that many of us want from our businesses and that our businesses are completely capable of giving us. Hmm, I love that. Um, Okay, so next in the process is reviewing. And when I mean, I imagine that doesn't kind of happen in January, when are we sort of looking at reviewing the work that we've done and how far we've gotten along on that map? Oh, this is a good question. So yeah, when I think about the strategic planning process, it's sort of a four-step process in that we're, we're dreaming and, you know, we're dreaming up where we really want to go and hopefully feeling really good about it, not just kind of putting down on paper what we think we're supposed to do. And then we're mapping out the details of that, which is what we did in the recalibration workshop. But following that, like if we, if we do all that and then we stick it in a drawer somewhere, 
it's pretty useless. And this is why people hate budgets, right? Because they're like, well, I have a plan, but it's never, I never actually meet the plan. So what's the point? For me, this process of creating the map is just that it's a map. And so we need to stop and check every once in a while and say, are we still on the same road? Did we take a left turn? You know, <laughs> Did that big event come up and I threw down 10 grand that I wasn't planning? It's okay to do that. But then what are the ramifications of that? So I like to review at least quarterly you know, in the financial world, we we live in three-month periods. So typically we close out a quarter, you know, January through March, and then we're doing a review in April. Um, April, May, June, we do a review in July and so on throughout the year. And what that allows you to do is just check in and see, you know, is your plan still what you need? Not only are you on track, right? Because sometimes if we get way off track, we freak out because it feels like we'll never play catch up. And there's a lot of negativity there. And then people just kind of turn away from it and fly by the seat of their pants again and generally just go back to feeling discomfort around all of it. But if we check and we're like, you know what, I had this new opportunity or I did a major shift halfway through the year because a lot of us are movers and shakers and we make decisions really quickly. So where we are in June may be very different than where you thought you were going to be, you know, back in January. So Checking in at least every three months and just seeing, one, do you need to adjust what you're doing to hit your targets or have your targets changed? Do you need to adjust your map because of something that happened in your personal life? Maybe you had, you know, a parent who had a long-term illness that you had to pull out of your business, you know, significantly to take care of, um, you know, whatever it might be. Life happens and we need to be able to adjust our plan according to those things as well. Because if we just set it as a static thing and then we don't actually hit our targets at the end of the year, we just feel crappy about ourselves. That's no good. You know, I'm drawing a really strong correlation with all of this and also how our time and energy is, is a factor in this equation too. And I think we do the same thing a lot of times with our time. Like it's like we map out the plan for our time and then we go down these rabbit holes or jump on the next thing. And before we realize it, all of our time is like spent doing something something completely different than what we planned for it and same same with our energy and I just think the three I mean they say time is money um, but I also think time is money is money is energy is time you know like all of those three things seem to really go hand in hand and be important factors in this whole entire process because even in your money um plan, you have to be thinking about what can you realistically do energetically? What can you realistically do time-wise? You know, you maybe there's only one of you. Maybe you have a team. So I think that's mm-hmm. going to also look different for each and every person too. And taking, for sure. yeah, factoring that in just seems like really, really important. I think that's a really good point. And it is something that we had talked about when we were doing the mapping process in December, because it's not just about I'm going to have X people times Y dollars per person, and that'll equal $20,000 in my pocket every month. You know, the reality is sometimes we we want the dollars, and so we kind of backtrack into into how we can make it happen. And if we're caught up in, in like pricing issues, like I'm afraid to charge more, we need to be realistic with ourselves. You know, if I'm going to cap my prices at X dollars, then that means that I have to, you know, to hit this bigger picture goal for money coming in the door every month, I'm going to have to work with maybe more people than you even have the bandwidth to do. Mm -hmm. So thinking about, because again, we don't want to turn our businesses into another version of the treadmill 90 hour work week necessarily, right? The goal is to have fun with what we're doing and to be able to have fun, we need to not be 
you know, drinking from the fire hydrant, working 24 seven too. So yeah, I think there's a, there's a huge connection. And I think that it's okay to let ourselves shift and morph, right? We make the best plans in January. We say, we're going to go on a diet. We're going to start exercising. We're going to be better with our money. You know, we're not going to eat as much chocolate, whatever it is. And, you know, that lasts as long as it lasts. And then at some point, you know, maybe we slip or we change or we morph or we shift and then we feel guilty about it. And my whole piece about mapping the Zen money part is, you know, let's just be really clear about what your guardrails are. What is your worst case scenario and can you live with it? You know, if that's what comes to be and what's your best case scenario and can you live with it if that's what comes to be? And it just, it helps us be a little kinder to ourselves in terms of looking at this plan we've created versus, you know, the actual outcome, which is probably not going to be exactly what we wrote down in January. Also, for the record, January is a terrible time to like start a new year. We should be starting a new year in like May or June when we're all like feeling Or fresh. even September, right? <laughs> like there's this extra energy going back to school stuff. I know. Yeah, yeah. But January, we're like, okay, hunker in for the longest month ever and let's make all these great resolves. And let's try to be really excited about all the possibilities <laughs> when it's sick below and yeah. Gray and cloudy. Well, that's what happens in New England. If anyone else is listening to this from sunny Arizona, for example, maybe you feel great about January. Now. Yeah, <laughs> true. Very true. Um, all right. And then let's talk about piece number four, which um, is adjusting the plan. So we reviewed and we right. found a little places that we need to tweak and now we need to adjust. Yeah. So it just loops back around again, right? We look at the framework and the reality is, it's, I sound like kind of a jerk when I say this, but the reality is the math around your finances is basic fifth grade math, right? It's income minus expenses equals profit. And the profit number is what you have to play with in terms of paying your taxes and paying yourself. It can get more complicated than that, but that's you know kind of the basic rule of thumb. And so we, in our minds, make it really complicated, but that is just what it is. What you have coming in minus what you're spending in your business equals what you have left over for you. So if we look at it from that framework and we've said, okay, well, maybe I thought I was going to do this program or this new offering or work with somebody in a new way and it didn't really pan out. And we're looking at this in April and we're like, you know, I need to adjust that. Well, you know, are you going to pick up those dollars from a different offering? Maybe you've had a new opportunity come up that kind of slips in and replaces it or does better than, you know, what you had put in that slot before. Maybe you need to readjust your spending because it's clear that you're not going to be making as much money. And that's okay if that's what your life needs, right? Or your business is, you know, building some other stuff that's going to take a while for the money to come in for it. We just have to be cognizant of the ebb and flow and kind of time frame of new launches because the minute that we do something new, it doesn't mean instantaneous money in our pocket, right? And so that's where the adjustment part can come into where we might say, hey, this thing is taking longer than I thought to get off the ground, or I'm going to need to spend a little bit more in advertising dollars to really get it ramped up. You know, then we can readjust and say, you know, maybe my, um, plan for my spending and my business needs to shift. If that happens and we don't bring in more money, what does that do for what I can take home? If I bring in more revenue and I've managed to cut costs, what am I going to do with the extra money? You know, And that's where kind of coming and taking a look back um, three or four times a year can really help you feel good about staying on track and or adjusting and feeling like you're in control of this process versus I created something, it felt good at the time, my reality is nothing like it. And I just feel like I just need to throw it out with the trash. 
Yeah, I think that's really important. Um, so we've we've kind of hit on this a couple times where, you know, you said it's not really that complicated. It's sort of like fifth grade math equation, but we do make it really complicated. We make it a really charged topic, I think, a lot of times. So, you know, I know we hear the term money mindset thrown out there a lot. I'm going to give you kind of an opportunity to answer this question one of two ways, but what does money mindset, or in your case, I think money mindset means Zen money. So what does that sort of mean to you? Or how do you two, how do you fit those two concepts together? I had, I have a client who, who explained this transition in thinking back to me this way. She's like, you know, I always used to make spending decisions in particular, but also pricing decisions and what I was going to do with my money with just sort of a gut check, right? Does it seem like a good opportunity? Let's go for it. I know I can figure it out. She's like, and after working with me, she felt like she still had that, but she layered on top of it a, you know, being able to look at real data and use that to tell a story about what was actually happening. Because what happens with mindset, which is interesting, is that we think we're really clear and we think we're super on top of what's happening with our finances. And then it turns out that it's just not true. So our gut may be saying, oh my gosh, nobody's buying. Everyone has a super lack mentality. I had a client last spring come back to me. She's like really successful designer out in, in Toronto. I've been working with for about 18 months. And she was feeling during COVID that like lots of people were saying no. And it just was because she had a week where that was kind of the energy and the vibe that was coming at her. But I was able to show her that we were actually up revenue wise, like 200% over last year and profit wise, because we were managing things a little bit better in her business up like 300% over the year prior. And so what she was feeling, what her gut told her about the security of her business was at complete opposite odds to the financial reality that the numbers were showing us. And that that marriage, I think for me, is what Zen Money is about. It's about balance and feeling confident in your decisions, having that be based on reality, not based on, you know, what we hope and pray and or kind of what our 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 gut tells us because our gut isn't always right. Sometimes it is, but a lot of times it's not. And so for me, it's, it's a marriage of those two things. And where I see it coming up most with the people that I work with is, you know, there's just a lot of fear around it because it's so personal and emotionally charged to put yourself out there as a business owner or an entrepreneur, whichever, you know, phrase, phrase you like or identify with, but you're really putting yourself uh, out on the line and that's scary. And so then we translate that fear or that you know, that feeling of this ease to the making of money, to charging more and or ask even asking for a baseline price, right? We decide something, you know, behind the scenes in our office. And then when it goes to actually try to, you know, bring somebody in for that price, it's scary as hell. And so there are all kinds of ways we can mess with our mind (laughs) to make that easier. Um, But I think the first step is really just recognizing that our relationship with money you know, money itself is just a tool. If it's feeling charged, it's because of old stories, it's because of lack of knowledge or learning. Um, you know, we don't do a great job here in the U.S. of having general financial management training. Myself, I am a great example of that. Um, you know, all of that leads to fear and discomfort. And then you layer on top of that really easy credit. Um and, and people can get into trouble and feel like they're never going to get out of it. And the reality is, you know, you can get out of it, but it mm-hmm. does take some concerted effort and focus and, you know, wanting to make this shift in this relationship for yourself. 
Yeah, I hear you about uh, lack of education. I mean, I think I took like one personal finance class and I got an A and I don't remember doing anything except like looking up a couple of rents on different apartment prices. (laughs) Um, So that that actually brings me to my next question. So for um, moms listening that have children, what are some ways that they can start having either those conversations or just like teaching them really healthy ways to manage their money and to have, you know, like, let's talk about the people of the future now and building the money mindset of the future. How can we, what are some little things that we can do to help instill that in our kids? Oh, that's a great question. You know, it's funny because our kids learn at our hip. They really, really do. A friend of mine, you know, her earliest money memory is watching her mom pay checks, you know, for utilities and rent and stuff like that and never, you know, having to juggle the dates and the time and all of that because there was never enough to go around. And so that was the basis of, you know, kind of her relationship with money. Um, Other people don't really have any kind of interaction with it. So what my husband and I'll just share what we do in my house if it's interesting or useful for anybody. Um, and what's fascinating, <laughs> the other caveat here is it's fascinating. I have two kids. They're 11 and 13 right now. And my daughter is it, like, she is a born saver. And my son like has already spent his money before he's got it. He's like, he doesn't always, he doesn't get to spend it right away, but he has plans for it the minute right? it shows up. It's going so to cute. Lego sets <laughs> and now it's computer parts and things like that. My daughter like freaks out when she, you know, just this morning, we had to order her some new pants because she's growing really fast and she's growing out of her clothes. And yet she also is concerned about me spending money on this, right? I'm like, honey, this is not, you don't have to worry about this. This is my job. It's, it's okay. So one, I think understanding your kid's inherent approach is a really cool way to start because then you can tailor their learning to their inherent style, if you will. But above and beyond that, um, you know, in our house, and I, we have a lot of friends who do this too, if my kids get allowance, which I'll be honest with, we're pretty sporadic, (laughs) which isn't great. Um, But when they do get it, 50% of it has to go into savings, right? And then they can do what they want with the rest of it. Um, So there's that immediate training around, you know, we want to save for a rainy day because using debt and credit cards for your rainy day backup just at the end of the day isn't doesn't feel great on top of, you know, not really helping you get ahead. So we do that. we do like, for example, my son, what he wanted for Christmas was to build his own computer. And so he spent a lot of time checking stuff out and we had a budget and he had to figure out, you know, do I want the more fancy this part or that part? And he had to, you know, come in under budget and that was a really good project. So those are little things you can do Mm -hmm. to kind of help your kid get used to handling money and thinking about money without there being like a major you know, crunch around it. You don't want your kid. I don't want my kid to have the first time they have to make any major money decisions be when they're in college out on their own, you know, when, when the bottom might drop out from under them, that's probably not the best time. So whether or not you think your kids should work, you know, that's, that's a whole nother thing, but you know, you can, um, model good behavior if you're not in a great place financially and you want it to be better, include your kids, depending on their age, in that conversation so that they can see you doing the work that it takes, you know, to change this part of your life. I love that. And I love that you talk about that inherent um, saver versus spender. I've since I read that in your book, I've been thinking a lot about it and thinking about which one I am, um, because right now I'm very good at saving, but we do that together as a couple. And I don't know how I would be if you let me rogue. (laughs) Um, but I'm the same way. (laughs) 
Um, but with that, so what if somebody, let's say somebody is an inherent spender, is it possible for them to kind of like rein that in or are they just always going to sort of be that way? And is one better than the other? I, that's a great question. I don't think one is better than the other. I think if you're an inherent spender and I, I certainly have clients who are like this and it's an ongoing, uh, process for them. I like to think about it like this, right? We have a finite amount of money coming in, in any given time period, right? So let's say you had $10,000 come through your business door last month. It's going to go somewhere. Money is always going to go somewhere. It, I mean, this is the woo-woo, you know, money is energy thing, but it do, it's amazing when you start to actually track it, it will go somewhere. And if you want to shift habits from, oh my God, I have, I had no idea that I spent $500 last month on lattes, right? We have to look at it. We have to recognize it and, and then give it a plan, give it a job to do. So it may be that you don't necessarily have a lot of boundaries. And so the money just kind of goes somewhere, right? Have you ever had like 20 bucks in your pocket? And you're like, I don't know where it went. I spent it somewhere. Something happened. (laughs) I don't know. Nothing of value. I can't show you where it went (laughs) because it just siphons off. But if we take that $20 and we specifically say, I'm going to go put this, I'm going to put this in my savings account, it will go there. So, you know, giving your money when it comes in the door, specific jobs to do is a really great way to do it. And a lot of people like to have buckets, right? Where I'm going to have a specific tax savings bucket. I'm going to have a specific, um, some people like to get to the granularity of having a vacation account and having a kid, you know, college or kids, whatever, clothes account, you can get really, really detailed with it. I don't love getting crazy with different, you know, actual cash accounts for things because one, you're probably paying monthly bank fees that you don't need to be paying. But two, you know, setting up a system shouldn't be so complicated that you stop using it in, you know, a week and a half. So in general, it's just a mental exercise of where do I want this to go, right? Because there isn't an endless supply. And do I want it to pay off credit card debt? Do I want it to go to the kids' piano lessons? Do I want it to go toward my retirement? Do I want to put it back in my business? When we can get really specific about those tactical goals, I find that it's easier for the spenders in the world. We keep spending, right? The process is still the same. We're just now, quote unquote, spending into the tax savings account too, right? I think Um, my takeaway from this is that I need to get my husband to start me a clothing bucket, like a new clothing bucket. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Channel my spending. (laughs) Here's a little little side that may be useful too. I know a lot of couples, my husband and I don't do this, but I know a lot of couples will do a, um, they'll either have a communal account and like their business stuff or their personal stuff is aside and they'll put X dollars into the communal account to cover mortgage and rent and food and stuff like that. And anything left over is theirs to play with. Or you could do it the other way and just be like, we're both going to throw $200 a month, 50 bucks a month, whatever the number is, into our own personal savings so that if he wants to go do whatever, like he gets to and there's no what there's no bad conversation about it. If he wants to save it, fine. That's good too. And then you can have your like, hey, you know, I have my clothing bucket and I'm going to spend it and I don't have to ask permission for any of it because I think there's that that relational dynamic around money can get really squidgy sometimes. Yeah, that's funny. I actually do take an allowance. So <laughs> nice. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. You can just up it for your clothing bucket. Exactly. One last thing I wanted to say about the saver part. So the saver seems really um like they're better off, right? On paper, you're like, this is somebody who isn't overspending. This is somebody who's, you know, putting all this money away. That often can be the case, but money does like to be put to work too. So if you're somebody like my daughter, I'm actually actively encouraging her to do things with that, 
right? Because, or to think about where that's going to go specifically. Because if we're just saving for saving's sake, that's actually a very fear-based action, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's very like, I'm afraid of the future and I'll feel better if I just create this sort of warm blanket of money around me at all times. And that, that can be true, but I would just caution if you are a saver to just look at that and say, am I doing this because I have a particular goal in mind or am I doing it out of kind of a knee jerk fear reaction? Because sometimes we limit ourselves in how big our business can go or where we can take our lives if we're um, a little too entrenched in the uh, frugality mindset too. So again, it's about balance, right? And finding the right fit for you. I've had clients who are like, you know what? I feel really good when I have an entire year's worth of business expenses and what I want to take out for myself on hand in cash at all times. An investor would look at that and be like, you're sitting on $70,000. Let's put that to work for you, right? But for that person, that may be the level of cushion they need to feel really awesome about their life. Other people might be like, okay, yeah, maybe we can put some of this away in CDs and I know I can access it in 12 months and still pick up a couple hundred dollars or something. So we just need to find the right fit, um, you know, for your version of beautiful cash. You must hear some fascinating money stories. <laughs> fascinating. Here's the best one, though. Every single person I talk to, whether it's you know live at an event, which is not happening this year or whatever, everyone or through Zoom is always kind of behind, you know, the back of the hand, being like, "I'm my dirty secret is that I'm the worst ever with money or with something specific around finances." And what's fascinating to me about that is 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 if we all think we're the worst ever, then none of us are actually the worst ever. Yeah, we just might you know need a few tweaks here and there. I love that. And again, you're making yourself very relatable. Um, <laughs> so, okay. So I'd love for you to tell us how we can find and connect with you online, but, and also specifically um, what people can do if they want to work with you. Great question. Uh, probably the easiest place to go is just to visit my website, which is lizlajoy.com. That's L-I-Z-L-A-J-O-I-E. And there's some great free resources. You can take the Zen money quiz, which can help you sort out your financial archetype, which can help you figure out how you want to manage your money in a way that feels awesome. And then my book resources are there as well as whole list of some self-paced study type things, um, upcoming live workshops and how to connect with me if you're interested in more of the private done with you, done for you services that we provide. Perfect. Thank you. And thank you for coming on and being like so generous with your time and energy. You're welcome. That was great. To learn more about She Built This and to join our community and get involved for yourself, visit www.shebuiltthis.org.